Hello and welcome to the Blair Upper Cervical Podcast, a show where we interview top Blair Upper Cervical chiropractors to glean their insights, tips, and passion. In each episode, your hosts, Dr. Kevin Pekka and Dr. John Stenberg, bring something unique and inspiring to help you grow and succeed. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Blair Technique Podcast. Uh, I've got Dr. Namira with me, and I'd love to introduce her to the Blair community. She's hanging around the Blair circle for a while and uh, has kind of an interesting niche in practice uh, working in a, with a women's health focus. So I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about uh, what you're doing, a doc out there. And you're in California, right? Yes, I'm in Southern California. Southern California. Uh, so thank you for being available you know, to share with our audience. I'd love for you to introduce yourself and tell us about how you got into chiropractic and the Blair technique, and then we'll go from there. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. Um, So I kind of accidentally landed in chiropractic, I guess, just to begin with. Um, I went to high school and through the path of high school, I thought I was going to go, you know, into the health field, but I didn't know what it was. And I somehow randomly found a seven-year program to do a DO in my um, bachelor's at the same time. And a week before I left for college, um, I was in a car accident and I call it the car accident that saved my life because my car flipped twice. And that's how I met my first character. <laughs> and he ever so kindly was like, so why are you going to the old school? And I was like, well, I just believe in the body taking care of itself. And my mom hasn't done well with meds her whole life. She's got lupus and RA and the whole deal of autoimmune stuff. And I knew I didn't want to be an MD. And he goes, well, have you ever heard of chiropractic before me? And I was like, nope. <laughs> Um, and he just explained the philosophy. And at that point I was just like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. So I went into the semester in Maine, had an out-of-body experience where I was like, this is not where I'm supposed to be. Um, and came home and decided I was gonna be a chiropractor. Um yeah. so it's so it's it, so interesting. It was a quick, like, whoa, what happened? Like just turned fast. <laughs> yeah, that that's similar for me. And I've told my story on here a couple of times, but I didn't, I mean, it wasn't on my radar. I was kind of on my way to dental school and the same type of thing. It wasn't a personal experience, but one a family member had, and I was going like, what in the world is chiropractic about? Uh, but it was that one inflection point, you know, it's like you come across, someone comes across your path and kind of just plants the seed and, and disrupts your trajectory a little bit. And that mm-hmm. can put you on a totally different you know, def- path in life, which I think is so many chiropractors have a story like that. I think it's kind of one of the things that's so unique about us and what makes us so people and community focused is understanding the impact that a person can have in not just your life, but then the ripple effect out from your life. So, yeah. And it was really funny because I don't even think he was trying to be super like, Oh, you should become a chiropractor. Like he was a just graduated out of school and I was like 18. And so he was probably 20 something. And I think he was just trying to make small talk with a new female patient in his office and not making her feel uncomfortable, <laughs> but it randomly completely changed my life. <laughs> have you since, uh, have you since communicated with him or followed up or have you guys been I in touch? randomly finally found him on Facebook and friended him. So we'll randomly see each other liking each other's things on Facebook. It's been about five years now. <laughs> That's so cool. And I'm like, you probably don't even remember who I was, but you, he worked at the bank with my mom part-time while she was still working at the bank. <laughs> Gotcha. And so when he heard about the accident, he was like, what do you mean they didn't take her to, you know, get her x-rays or anything like that? So I was taking an ambulance to a hospital and nobody bothered to check my spine. Oh my God. Yeah, story we've all heard too many times. Start. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so fresh in chiropractic. Yes. 
so that's another, you know, random complete pivot. Um, I got to chiropractic school with no real idea of what chiropractic was um, in practice, other than, you know, the body can take care of itself and the whole basic philosophy of chiropractic. And that's how I landed there. Um, and so when I started learning about maintenance adjustments and getting adjusted frequently, and a lot of those things, I didn't really kind of fully understand when I got there. Um, and I did come a semester early to finish a last couple of prereqs. So I came the summer before. Um, and so I got into chiropractic school going, oh, shit, what did I do? Um, because I really, truly believe that our bodies were designed to work well. Um, a very spiritual philosophy on the body and healing and all of that. Um, and I was kind of like, well, we shouldn't require the needs of any healthcare practitioner to keep us healthy. Um, and that's where maintenance adjustments completely threw me for a loop. And I was like, crap, what did I do? Um, so I just happened to be in the Life University bookstore and Will Soriano stopped me and was like, hey, do you want to go to a seminar on uh, upper cervical neurology? And it was a KCUCS seminar. And I was kind of like, uh, sure, <laughs> like just completely winged it. Hello. You said, you know, you said hi to me in a bookstore on campus. I don't know who you are. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm feeling a little lost. Why not? Um, and that upper cervical neurology seminar literally changed my life. Um, I had so many eye-opening moments where you can check the nervous system and not need an adjustment. And there was an objective way to check the nervous system. Um, while I'm super holistic, I'm also totally a nerd. I love the body. I love how it works. Um, I wish I remembered some of the technical stuff more than I do right now, but how it's been, we've been out of school a while. I've been out of school <laughs> at least. Um, and I love that nerdy aspect of upper cervical work too. And so I love upper cervical work because I get to blend all the nerdy technology objective findings and still have an unbelievably objective approach and holistic approach to the body and healing. Um, and that's kind of how I fell into upper cervical work. So I actually did start as a KTUCS and HS chiropractor. Um, I got my advanced certification right as I was finishing up school. Um, my husband, however, though, has a ginormous noggin and I was not as good at clearing him in terms of the scan um, because I am super protocoled in terms of taking pattern, finding pattern, analyzing pattern, and you know, all the pattern analysis is really important to my practice. So I don't do quick scans. I do establish pattern and pre-post and post-check. Um, so I couldn't clear him and that was killing me. And I was like, I have to be able to clear my husband. Right. And that's when I fell into Blair work because the adjustment was a lot easier on my body. I was clearing scans way better than I was with me chest work, um, purely because of how I fit, I guess, up against most patients. Um, so I ended up, I sort of fell into Blair work just because the technique was easier for me to do. Um, so I call myself an upper cervical mixer to a certain degree. Um, I love Blair work. I love the Blair adjustments, um, but I definitely still use my KCUCS protocols to know when and where and how to adjust the patient. They do it with the Blair adjustment though. That's a, I, I love that. I think the, I, I don't know, this is kind of what my personal opinion, but I think that's kind of one of the weak points uh, in the sort of Blair community is not everyone feels very confident in pattern analysis and, and not everyone uses it. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that's kind of a shortcoming, you know, it's such a powerful piece yeah. of information. And, and honestly, like you said, if you learn proper pattern work, it gives you so much information mm -hmm. and it keeps you on track, right? There's times where a short leg, you know, just isn't giving you the full picture, right? And you need to really objectively measure that nervous system from a few different physiological perspectives to really understand 
when folks are healing and when it's a good idea to let them leave them alone. And that was one of the things that drew me to upper cervical care too, was like the existential crisis of being like 24 and healthy in chiropractic school, but getting adjusted twice a week just to feel okay. And I'm going, (laughs) what are we doing? You know, what am I going to do with someone sick? And this idea of holding adjustments and holding his healing and the fact that the long-term corrective benefit is what we're after. Like you said, at some point that, that light bulb just went off for me and it's like, oh yeah, this is the thing. And it, it did coincide with me understanding more about philosophy, which is adjustments are not what get people well, it's being clear. Right. And so right. it's a big, a, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not, not being interfered with, right. Not having interference. And so it's like, okay, how do we keep that? You know, how do we keep folks clear of interference for as long as possible? And I joke about it a lot to a certain degree with my patients, because I'm a fairly serious person when it comes to your health, but I don't think healing should be scary or serious. Um, And um, a big thing, which when it comes to, you know, students learning how to set up their practices is I charge what I'm worth. And I kind of joke about it regularly where I'm like, you're paying for me to check you and know when to adjust you and when to leave it alone. If you need the adjustment, that's free. Yeah. The adjustment isn't what makes things better. The scan and knowing when to adjust you and knowing when not to adjust you might, you know, eight years of school and quarter of a million dollar brain. That's what you're paying for. <laughs> yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent. And and honestly, I think because you're certain in it, you know, when you communicate that to folks, I do think there are a lot of folks who it's really they're really searching for something like that, right? Where chi- chiropractic philosophy is about, well, my mind, an upper cervical is about um, self-efficacy, right? It's about like adaptability. It's about sustainability. It's about results that last. It's about empowering our patients, you know, with this, with these tools, not just creating a dependence on, you know, a natural quote unquote, or uh, a hands-on short-term pain relief model. And so, yeah, it's, it's, and that's exactly right. I've said the same thing before. I was probably my first three months in practice. One of my patients was like, so do I pay you the same if I like, don't get adjusted? How does this work? And I said, like, you should pay me more if I don't. That's what I told him. I said, it it just kind of came out. I was like, you should pay me more because I did such a good job. Uh, And and it was kind of a jokey thing. But in the moment, it's like, yeah, you know what? It's I'm monitoring you. I'm checking you. You know, we're we're taking care of you. But if you need an adjustment, I'm not going to charge you extra for it. You know, we'll just take care of that. And so that was kind of my, you know, from then my kind of default thing. So I'm glad to hear other people say that too. All right. Well, I'm kind of interested then in how you've kind of meandered your way to this women's health focus, but what were the first few years of practice like for you? Did you work as an associate doc? Did you start a practice? (laughs) So I came back to California and there weren't too many upper cervical chiropractors in the area. Um, I've also learned in upper cervical work. It's gotten a little bit better, I would say, but there weren't very many associate openings because a lot of upper cervical chiropractors don't want you touching their patients because it's important stuff we're doing, right? Um, I barely found an internship situation when I was at life. Um, and even that was analyzing, but never adjusting. Um, and so I basically, I was six months pregnant when I graduated chiropractic school. Um, I had my daughter in Georgia. I waited there a couple of months to finish the pregnancy. Um, and we moved back and in California, you also have to do the radiology stuff separately and all of that. So it took me a little, a little bit of time, especially cause I was just barely postpartum when I got back here. Um, so I kind of, in the first four months after having a baby, which was almost less than just under a year after graduating, got my license and my, you know, supervisor operator permit, all that fun stuff. Um, and so I kind of enjoyed being a mom for a few months. And during that time, um, I looked around to see what was available in terms of 
possible like independent contractor positions and stuff like that. But there wasn't too much in this area. I think um, Dr. Hall was pretty close by, but I hadn't really met him yet. Dr. Chong was close by, but I hadn't really met him yet. I actually went out and hung out with Dr. Kuhn for a day. That was the most exhausting six hours of my life. That man could walk all over his practice and see a gazillion patients and you were tired running after him. <laughs> um, but I kind of was just checking out to see what was around because I just didn't know what to do. And at some point, my in-laws, God bless them, said, well, your student loan payments are going to come due sometime. So you might want to open that practice of yours. Um, and they literally, thankfully, um, gave us a gift, which was supposed to be to help us buy a house that opened my practice instead. Um, so I did not have to take out a small business loan, but I was on a strict budget and I had to run everything by them with like, these are the little things I need just to get up and running. Um, and I opened my first practice in Santa Monica um, on Lincoln and Wilshire, right in the middle of a huge lesson in my life, because you don't open a practice on Lincoln and Wilshire in the middle of Santa Monica, your rent is $5,000 a month. Oh my God. Um, and that's not what you need when you're starting practice. <laughs> um, so I barely had much equipment. I had just enough, like there was no cool TVs on the, you know, the walls or anything like that. I had just enough to keep me functioning. But that first three years was hard because the overhead was nuts. Um, and so everyone says, you know, don't jump into and create the fanciest office of your dreams. Um, also don't jump into a ridiculous rent. Um, and I did a lot of it by myself, which was, which was rough. Um, so those first three years, I learned a lot. I learned that practice changes. I learned that, you know, you have to figure out how to use your words properly because people don't understand subluxation. And honestly, some people don't care about subluxation. Um, and that's when I kind of learned, I learned to use stuck versus stuck and adapting, things like that. Um, I just changed the terminology to make patients understand. Um, and so I think that practice finally kind of started getting itself together. And then in San Monica, my lease was up for three years and um, my rent was going up. And when he told me that my new rent, I think I had my first panic attack of my life. He literally shut my practice down and there was nothing I could do about it. I was like, I can't afford that. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was a hard, expensive lesson to learn because I didn't pay myself a penny that year. I grossed more than my husband every year and didn't pay myself a penny. Um, so that was rough, but it was a huge learning experience. And I got connected with a lot of great people. Networking is amazing, especially if you're a woman networking with other women business owners. Um, you find some really great connections there. And one of them for me was a homeopath who was renting office space for me one day a week. Her primary practice was out here in Thousand Oaks. And she looked at me in one day and she goes, I don't know why you're fighting so hard to keep things running here. She's like, you have a better school district out there. Your daughter's about to start first grade. It's one of the top school districts in the country. The rent is cheaper there. The people are established there. They're not looking for their money. Why are you making this hard on yourself? And it was probably the best advice I ever got. And I literally shut the place down and started over here in Agora. And I'm so grateful I did. Um, because when I told people my overhead was two grand, the entire overhead, they were like, how did you do that in California? I'm like, well, I found a place that was, you know, a thousand dollars rent. And my x-ray machine was 800 a month at that point in time. And I was like, I wasn't paying myself. So at that point, my literal overhead went from like eight to two and my sanity just kind of cleared up and my stress went down. And I'm like, now I can focus on doing things properly. Um, so that was one of those things where your first few years will be no matter what you do, a learning lesson. That's true. <laughs> just get used to it. Be ready for it. Be ready to pivot all sorts of different ways. I feel like I saw the sickest of the sick in my first three years in practice, which is pretty crazy. I had all the hard cases show up at my office. Yeah. Um, 
And that was kind of my niche. And then when I shifted out here to Agora, all of a sudden it changed because I got to help a whole bunch of mamas along the process, not with chiropractic, but with just my knowledge of having a home birth and getting your body ready to have babies. Um, that's kind of how I semi fell into the niche that I'm in right now is um, I kind of just looked at the body as the external environment of my child and how to keep it healthy hmm. um, for growing baby. And I started talking about preconception health and all that stuff. And I accidentally, while trying to create a preconception health practice, built a menopause practice instead. Um, so that one chose me. Um, but while I was networking out here, all these women were like, I know you only want to take care of women who want babies, but can you take care of me? And I was like, sure. Um, and they all started coming and then they all started having the same problems. And it really, uh, the women's health practice built itself um, without me trying. I was trying to build a preconception health practice and I ended up with an aging healthy population practice instead. <laughs> well, that, well, that is interesting because like you said, when you start, the only thing you know is what you've seen others do, right? So you try mm -hmm. to emulate the things that you've liked in other offices and from other chiropractors, but, and you try to talk yourself into things sometimes like, this is what mm -hmm. I want to do. This is what's right. And, and it does ebb and flow. And, you know, for me, like I see kids, I, I don't mind seeing kids, I'm not like a pediatric chiropractor, but I remember in the mm -hmm. beginning being like, oh, we got to see whole families and all that kind of thing. And it's like, I don't really... There's a bunch of uh, great ICPA docs around here. It's like, yep. you know, it's just not my thing. And I, after trying to talk myself into it for a while, it's one of those realizations. It's like, you don't have to do this. So it is interesting that, you know, those first three years and, and maybe even beyond a few, it's so much iteration goes on. And I was just telling um, my CA the other day, it's like, I'm five years in practice now. It's like, I've changed everything. My fees, mm -hmm. my hours, the types of appointments, when I schedule them, how long they are you know, what I do on those appointments, the communication, the, what, the way the week is set up, all that stuff. Right. And so it's, yeah. it's kind of a natural process. And we see every so often you see this like exception to the rule, right. These people that just like take off like a rocket right out of school. And we act yeah. like we're all supposed to do that. And it's yeah. not always the case. Well, I also feel now that I've done this for so long, that if I had some of the tools now that I had, if I had some, the tools that I have now three years ago, not three years ago, 10 years ago, I may have been able to do it a lot faster. Yeah. Um, but I also had my priority set. Um, yeah. So a lot of times people will check in with me and they're like, are you coming to the seminar? And that's a really big, like stopping point for me. Um, I've had people ask me all the time. Oh, I haven't seen you at a seminar. Oh, I haven't seen you do this. Or I don't see you active. And I'm like, look, I graduated knowing what my priorities are. And my practice is not my first priority. My kids are my first priority. And I make sure that I'm home to cook dinner and put food on the table for them every night. And until my youngest turns 10, you will not see me at a seminar. I refuse to travel either with kids and drag them to a seminar or without my children on weekends when I could be at soccer tournaments or whatever. And so I love all you people, but I'm not seeing you for at least another three years in person unless you come visit me. Agora. You know what? Um, and I just made the rules yeah. and I stick with them. <laughs> I love that. No, I'm really glad you say that because... I've had my son's three and I've had these same thoughts. It's like, you know what, for up until he was born, it was like chiropractic was the only thing. And then that really messed me up, right. Having this little person in your life. And now that he's getting older and, you know, we're, we're more active in doing things together. It's like, Holy smokes, you know, your priorities shift. And then you're, you're looking at, okay, where do we, your time is the one resource that is non-renewable, right? It's like, how do we spend this time? And they're only going to be a little ones. I know people say that all the time, but it's true. <laughs> no. And it's a big deal. And I, 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 you know, I get the, like, I'm a, I'm a mission and purpose 
driven chiropractor, but I think the best thing I can do with the world is raise a good kid. And so, uh, and that's, that's priority number one for us too. And so, you know, in real time, things change as it relates to that. So I appreciate you making that point because I know that especially in upper cervical, like in, in subluxation or vitalistic chiropractic, there's always this like save the world type of urgency. And then there's yeah. in the upper cervical community, even more so in some uh, circles that like, you know, you got to be out there telling the message and saving these people's lives and all this kind of stuff. And I think for, for folks like maybe me and you that have other things that are, you know, maybe a little bit higher on that punch list. It's like, yeah. man, I really, I have a hard time, you know, reconciling these two parts of me sometimes that are pulling in different directions. Uh, and, and sometimes the deciding factor is like you said, it's like, you can, I can, you can always go do more work. You can always go see more people, but you can't get that time with your little ones back. Right. And part of that, just like you said, I mean, it, it for me, that's almost a simple philosophy because you save the world one person at a time, you start with yourself. And so for me, I've always been a huge fan. And that's kind of, I think how I sort of ended up in this women's niche practice is, you know, women tend to do that. They, they put other people first. I, my other little hashtag is the caregivers, caregivers. I take care of all the people that stop taking care of themselves. Um, but at the same time, you start with yourself. You're not a hypocrite. You get checked regularly as well, right? Like there's so many caregivers that don't actually get chiropractic care. Yeah. <laughs> um, then you start with your kids, make sure they're good humans. And then you work out from that circle. But the circle starts with you in the middle you have to take care of you, then you take care of your family, then you take care of the people in your practice, then you take care of the greater world. So in that greater world speaking gig, chiropractic community, I'm just not there yet. I'm still bubbled in with like taking care of me, taking care of my kids and taking care of my little practice. Um, I love it. No, I, I it love it. all protocols for me that way. Like I'm a very protocol person. And for me, it's like, look, I got to do this, this and this, the rest of that stuff, we'll get there. I'm only 38. We have time. <laughs> yes. hundred percent. No. And I'm really glad you said that. Cause I know we have a lot of students that listen and there's always conversations about the next steps. Right. And there seems like there's only a few different options, it, you know, and part of having these conversations is to bring more options to the table. So folks can mm -hmm go inside and, and determine what's valuable to them and how they, how they want to express their chiropractic values in their life and create the life that you want. And that's the cool thing about being an entrepreneur and a chiropractor. It's you've got options and you've got time, you know? And so, uh, having the micro practice kind of a setup is really interesting and appealing because it does lower the stress, you know, focuses your energy and your resources and puts you in a position to care for folks when you're really stressing about paying your rent. I mean, it's, it's a challenge to shift gears, you know, between that business hat and that clinician hat and really focus on taking good care of your people and making proper recommendations and, you know, uh, separating those two things. It can be survival challenging mode. when you're yes. in survival mode, you can't take care of anybody. <laughs> it's true. And we tell that to our patients, you know, and that's one of the things about chiropractic. It's an inside out philosophy. So we have to turn it on ourselves and, you know, apply those mm -hmm. principles. And you have to be strong in what those priorities are and not let anybody else make you feel bad for them. Cause there are so many, so many practice management companies, coaches, all those people who will be like, why aren't you doing this? Or you just have to do this. And I'm like, no, I don't just have to go do this. I have my kids. I'm not going to go stand outside and pray that someone talks to me for, you know, the five hours I'm hanging out at a farmer's market. Like, that's right. crap. Yeah. Um, so don't let anybody make you feel bad because you're not doing it the way they want you to do it. Um, I think in 10 years, I probably really got my shit together in the last five. Yeah. No, and, and if I you think the long route and I'm still okay with it, right? Like, I mean, yes, did I want to be, you know, bringing in big bucks in year two? Of course I did. 
but I also just was true to who I am, what my needs are, what my family's needs are. And now I'm doing great. And I'm so grateful that I did it the way I wanted to do it versus the way someone else thought I should be doing it. Agreed. No, I I 100% agree with that. There's uh, so many different ways that you can approach crafting your life right. And, and kind of putting those pieces of the life in place. And, and I've talked to folks along every, you know, every spectrum. And, um, I've talked to a few family members of older, hyper successful, very influential chiropractors. And the common denominator was our life revolved around their work, you know, and it was, if we went on a vacation, it was to a seminar. We got, we, you know, we played in the hotel pool while dad was speaking all weekend or whatever it was. And, and, and that's, you know, not better, worse, different, but it's, that's just not the direction I want to go with my life. And, you know, in chiropractic. Uh, So me and you are on the same page with that. I love it. And the thing about it, it's like thinking about the past five years that I've been open. It's like a blink of an eye, right? Five years is a, it's a significant amount of time, but it's also not, (laughs) you know, I had to think about it for a second. I'm like, wait, we've been doing COVID for three. So two more. Uh, that's five. Basically, right. And the first year doesn't count because you don't even know what your ass from the, you know, toggle table and you're trying to figure it all out. So it's, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely the kind of experience that humbles you in a way that puts you in a position to evaluate those priorities, at least speaking Mm -hmm. for myself, you know, you get so in your head when you're coming out of school and you're so messed up in your thinking that, Mm -hmm. uh, it takes some humility to kind of put you back in a position where, you know, you're thinking about big picture stuff and not just you and your thing. And, uh, that was my experience at least. And I think I've, the, some of the lessons I've learned and challenges that we've been through, it's like, I, I don't know that I would have learned these things a different way, you know, rather than kind of just going through it. And, uh, I'm grateful for the process. Cause I know that it's brought, you know, more maturity and, uh, development of myself, you know, in different avenues that, you know, it's the kind of the unintended cool part of, starting a practice yeah. right out of school and going through all that. Right. So yeah, that's what we call the first three years are really expensive learning experiments. <laughs> yeah. It's all tuition, baby. <laughs> so, okay. Let's talk about this women's health focus. Cause I know we kind of started to allude to it, but I, I, I thought that was really interesting. And I've seen a lot of the stuff you share on social media and it's very mm-hmm. targeted and very clear yeah. and very focused because we see sometimes there's chiropractic stuff all over the place. Right. And it's like, what is going on? And people get confused, but your messaging is very consistent, very focused. And I I appreciate that. So we talked a little bit about how you kind of doing something, right? Yeah. Well, you, you've kind of meandered your way into this uh, realm. So what are kind of some of the key things you've learned working with this population that you think those of us in the community that are maybe not, you know, working specifically on that, but see these women and, and have some of these conversations, what are things we should know about? Okay. So I'm going to backtrack just a little bit on you to show how I got into this craziness. Um, So I think I mentioned that I started wanting to do this preconception health practice. Um, And the reason that happened is I got pregnant while I was in chiropractic school. Um, And I think Dr. Bruce Lipton had come to speak um, on campus when we were there. Uh, And I was reading part of the biology beliefs. And there's a section in there where he talks about petri dishes and cells. And now this is where I get to nerd out and have all my fun. Um, But he talks about, you know, changing the environment and how if you make the environment healthy, the cells can get healthy. If you change the environment and get sick, then the cells get sick and you change it back to healthy again and they'll heal themselves. And I realized it was so much about our environment. Mm. Um, and so when I thought about getting pregnant, I was like, well, I need to make sure my external environment is good. And I do that by, you know, doing all the things I need to do in my lifestyle. Um, and I make sure my internal environment is good by taking care of my nervous system. Okay, cool. So with a baby, 
your inter their internal environment is being taken care of by their brain and nervous system. Their external environment is you. Um, so you have to make sure you're in good shape to be a good external environment for your child. Um, and so I realized that basically our, we had these seven lifestyle, I call them the seven essentials is what I started with many years ago. And the seven essentials are basically six external, uh, six external factors and one internal factor. And so your six externals, I made really complicated and now I've simplified them, but they were communication, which was basically your stress management, your interpersonal and intrapersonal communication, which is all the chitter chatter in your head and the chitter chatter with people around you um, and being you know, able to manage those. Then you have your nutrition, which is healthy eating. You have hydration, which is drinking enough water. You have motion, which is your exercise or movement. Um, you have restoration or sleep, um, detoxification, your, your home, your body, all the crap that you put on your body, the crap you put in your body, the crap you put on your products, all that kind of stuff. Um, and making sure we get rid of all those toxins and chemicals from the system. And those are all the external factors that affect your health um, because you have to put them outside in. And then you could take care of all those things, which is why they're sometimes really healthy people who still are struggling and they can't figure out why. And it's because they haven't gotten to that internal environment and our internal environment is controlled by our nervous system and brain. And so you, if you take care of both, then you can have your hundred percent health. Right. Um, and so I was like, well, I do this all the time, but nobody talks about the external stuff and it's classified as self-care, which is the most bullshit word ever. Um, I think I just did a post about it yesterday or the day before, but I have a really huge love hate relationship with self-care. Um, because women classify self-care as something nice they did for themselves. And they say, oh, I went on a walk. And I'm like, no, went on a walk was exercise. You were supposed to do that anyway. Went on a walk is not self-care. Mm. <laughs> That's not something you should just do for fun. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> um, but nobody was talking about this stuff. And God knows I tried those first three years to use all the upper cervical marketing tips and the chiropractic tips. And nobody gives a shit. Sorry, just being honest. Um, but nobody wants to see all the chiropractic posts. They just don't. They want to know how to take care of themselves. And so I really started focusing in on being someone they could trust in mm. how to get those other lifestyle factors back in check. Mm. And once they trust you to take care of themselves and they learn that you can do it in bite-sized pieces, then they know when stuff still isn't going right, maybe they should check in with you on the other stuff like the chiropractic. <laughs> Um, and I kind of just worked it backwards is really what I did. That's so even like, if you look at my Instagram, it's not a chiropractic page. It's a public figure page because I talk about it, how I balance being a wife, a business owner and an upper cervical, um, a, a, an upper cervical specialist, a mom and a wife. Um, and it's really about me figuring out how to handle my own self-care and my journey of healing and keeping myself healthy as a practitioner. Um, and how I relate to other women and, and how life is going on, right? Like we all go through those same things. Um, and so many of us are overwhelmed by these six other things that we just don't know how to do it. And I try to really chunk it off into manageable things for them. And then once they realize that they're following me and doing all these things and they're starting to feel a lot better and they're like, oh, well, what about these headaches? Can you help with these? And I'm like, well, I can totally help with those. Interesting, yeah. Um, and so I kind of worked it backwards. I don't really talk about chiropractic a lot unless it's very specific to conditions. Like I'll talk about migraines a lot because it's 80% of my practice. Like yeah. migraines, Meniere's disease, vertigo, tinnitus, post concussion, that kind of stuff. That's my whole practice. Um, of course, I take care of neck pain too, but surprisingly, it's not in the top five. <laughs> yeah, and, and when folks I have are to dealing, work it backwards. yeah, and when folks are dealing with those issues, they're 
their primary concern is not, I can't check my shoulder when I change lanes. It's the fact that I can't, I'm tired all day and can't sleep at night. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm having a hard time being a good people mom. People deal with pain. Pain yeah. points are not getting anybody to do anything. Pain yeah. is not a reason to go fix something. People yeah, live it, through pain and women through, live through a shit ton of pain. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, I was talking with a patient about this yesterday. It's, it's one of those things. It's like, well, yeah, all my friends have the same thing. Right. So it's like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not something that needs to be handled. Right. But when you talk a conversation about health and about the ability for your body to adapt to its environment and to thrive and to, you know, manifest its potential and really go the distance and provide you the options in life to do the things you want to do and need to do and and, and enjoy those things fully and express yourself and, you know, be the best version of yourself. That's a different conversation. And I think that's what folks really want. Right. They, They know that there's more. They, mm-hmm. they want to feel better, but they want to be better, you know, and that's what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. And, and a lot of them don't know better, right? Like I had one woman who was just like, yeah, I've been having these daily headaches for like the last 10 years of my life. And someone else finally told me that having a headache every day was not normal. Mm-hmm. They just thought it was what everybody had at the end of the day because they were tired and stressed out from sitting at a computer. And I'm like, no, having a daily headache is not normal. Let's yeah. fix that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. they just don't know. Um, and so that's kind of where the marketing end of what I do fell into place, um, at least on social media. Um, from there, I realized I was having the same conversations in the office over and over again. And I don't know how many chiropractors still do this, but I still take a good 30 to 40 minute history on my patients. Do I need a history to take care of my patients? No, I need imaging and pattern. That's it. I don't really need anything else. I check in every once in a while on what their chief complaint is and how they're doing, but um, patients need the 30 to 45 minute history because no one else will listen to them. Mm. It's really to build their trust and let them know you actually care. Um, and I learned in doing that 30 to 40 minute history, I'll go through a full review of systems. I'll ask them how they manage their stress. I'll ask them all those things, the lifestyle stuff. Um, I'll get to reproductive health, especially because with a lot of women, I'm finding that they either have menopause systems or their cycles are all whacked out. Um, and I've seen patients who flashes have gone away under care, their cycles have regulated or all these cool things that um, just kind of happened on accident, accident um, while they were under care. And that's another thing where I was like, oh, look, all these things change while you're under care with me. And I kind of marketed that for a while. And that's sort of a, another reason things fell into place. But part of my reproductive health situation, uh, you know, section on there is cycle, fertility, um, STD health, all that kind of stuff. And then there's um, like relationship and libido. And they're like, you're the only person that's ever asked me if I'm having sex regularly. And I'm like, well, I learned it's a huge part of your health. Mm. Um, and so I, we literally talk about sex in here all the time. We'll talk about masturbation. We'll talk about all these other things that people are like, I never really thought I'd talk about here. And I'm like, well, you forget that a having an orgasm actually affects your blood pressure. It can help your improve your cardiovascular health. It helps improve your stress. Um, toning those muscles can help prevent organ prolapse when you get later in life. Like mm. orgasms aren't just for fun. They actually improve your health. Um, and for women, many of them, when they start to hit menopause, lose their libido and aren't having good relationships with their spouses. And that causes more stress sure. um, and they become caregivers for their parents. And that causes more stress. Um, and we could help reduce a lot of people's stress if they're having more orgasms. Um, so it kind of all intertwined into itself into something bigger than what I can currently manage at the moment. It's yeah. kind of outgrown me to a certain degree where I'm like, okay, we're talking about this at the office. Um, but it's just one of those things where the patients brought what they needed. 
Yeah, exactly. I was going to say having that conversation all the time, you open up the doors for that. So I have an event. It's my once a month event uh, that I do, and it's called Tea and Taboo. Um, So we talk about the things that nobody wants to talk about on social media or they're afraid to talk about on social media and they kind of rotate through. Um, So Tea and Taboo, like the first month is menopause, menopause type symptoms, growing older, all that stuff nobody wants to talk about. The second month in the series is all about sexual health, whether it's relationships with your partner, relationships with yourself, um, not being in a relationship or being widowed and how you take care of yourself and all that, that kind of aspect of it. And then the third part is really kind of purpose after, you know, getting to a certain age or your kids leaving the home or finding a new career or getting divorced after 40 and um, all that kind of mental health stuff that's really mm. important for those women who kind of feel like they're all alone. It's, and the sad part is all these women felt like they were going through it alone. And I just wanted a space for them to be able to meet each other and connect and realize that they weren't going through it alone. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the other part of what this has turned itself into. <laughs> well, that's it. No, it's interesting. I, I love the idea of being a hub, right? It's like, you don't, you want to like, you don't want people to feel alone. And that's such a common thing when they're on a journey dealing with a health challenge is they feel isolated and alone and nobody understands and nobody sees what they're going through. And there's only so much as the chiropractor and as the um, guide on that journey, you can do, but a community of people that are in a similar place, you know, just elevates the total experience in a way that is a lot more valuable to a lot of people than a chicken dinner and listen to me talk about chiropractic, you know? And so, never done one of them. <laughs> that, well, that's what I mean. It's like some of the stuff, if you put yourself in the shoes of the people, it's like, what, they're not interested in you. They're interested in them. Right. Uh, and so you've obviously identified some needs, you know, earned enough trust and uh, rapport that folks feel comfortable being vulnerable with those needs. And then you're obviously providing the value that's helping meet the needs. So that's, you know, that's the recipe for, satisfied patients and lots of referrals and, you know, a great experience helping your fellow woman. Awesome. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about maybe some of the logistics of your little practice, because I love that idea. And I'm curious about sort of the, how it's put together, right? So you've got this room that you've rented, so you've got your own space. Walk me through how that's uh, set up and how you kind of run your little, your little office there. Definitely. So um, this is part of that learning experience that happened when I was in Santa Monica. I had 1,300 square feet. Um, it had a waiting room and a reception area, and then a room that the acupuncturist used a couple times a week, the homeopath, my resting suite, x ray, and my office. So I had one, two, three, four, five rooms for just me. Um, so an acupuncturist rented the room a couple days a week, a homeopath rented one room, but I did not need a waiting room and a reception area because I've never had staff. <laughs> it was just already pre-built that way. It was a med spa that I just basically didn't bother to do anything with because I didn't have the money to do anything with and I made it work. Yeah. Um, so part of that is why my rent was ridiculous. Um, and so when I got through that first three years, my husband looked at me and I was just like, I can't do this. And he's the sweetest man on the face of the earth. I tell everyone but him, apparently, um, that he literally has allowed me to do what I do for, you know, the last 10 years. And I am unbelievably grateful for the relationship that I have with my husband. Um, But he literally was like, look, you have one year to get this new practice up and running or we can't keep functioning like this. Like, we can't go from Atlanta to California on the same salary with a kid and yeah. being able to keep doing this without you bringing home any money. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he very gently was like, you got to get it together. Um, and so I literally found on Craigslist, I don't know how 
popular Craigslist is in other parts of the country, but it was on Craigslist was still being used here. I found a space for rent right here off, you know, where I'm in the same building that I'm at. And it was for a thousand dollars a month. And I was like, okay, it's 700 square feet. It was literally an entry and three rooms. And that entry housed the sofas that were in my Atlanta condo became my waiting room, you know, equipment. I had my x-ray moved into there. I had a resting room and I did everything out of my office. So checking, adjusting, all the exam procedures on my desk were all in that room. Um, and the greatest thing with that room is when I opened the door, it was directly in front of the entry. So I was basically like kind of far away as my own reception. And I just always kept the door open. Um, but it was the most beautifully organized 700 square feet in my life. And I was like, why did I pay for double before? Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you find the right setup, you're like, oh my gosh, this totally works. And I was in there for seven years. I just moved into my new space in January. That's that awesome. Double. Um, but the massage therapist and I were literally tripping on each other in that space. And I finally had to, to upgrade. Um, but it was great because I have a super simple practice. Um, I don't allow online bookings, so I control my own schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't have set times for like new patient only. And then I put it in wherever I need to put it in. Like Tetris, I, yeah. It, I make it work. I know how to manage my life and I don't want to have to like not have a new patient spot booked up until a certain point and then give it away because I'm never going to book patients last minute. I hardly ever book patients last minute. Actually, I had my first walk-in and ever show up yesterday. And I was like, I'm in an exam. Like, you can come back in a week if you want to yeah. see the appointment hold fee right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, they literally, I booked them over the phone. They come in. I do a consult over the phone. I used to do consults in the office pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great way to just do a quick scan on them, sort of show them what it looks like. Once I realized how to like narrow stuff down in COVID, I do a 10 to 15 minute consultation on the phone. I lay it out right at the beginning. Mm. There's no sneaking your way into someone's life. Um, you called me because you're referred by somebody or you saw all my reviews. At this point, my reputation is built, thankfully. Um, but I say, you know, these are what the things that I'm looking for. This is what upper cervical does protocol wise. This is what upper cervical was, does philosophically. I think I can help because of this isn't this. My first step is the new patient exam. It takes me an hour. It costs this much. These are all the things you get with it. Now, if everything lines up nicely and I think I can help when you come back, I'm going to offer you my new patient protocol. My life is completely protocoled. Um, I've been doing this for 10 years and it's the results. It's what I found to get me the best results and why I have all the testimonials I have. It is this long. It costs this much. I'm not offering it to you now, but just so that you know what you're getting yourself into if you decide to work with me. Mm-hmm. Cause I had a couple of times where people got through the exam, they saw my package and they were like, I can't afford that. And I was just like, shit. Um, I lay it all out online. I'm like, I'm super transparent. This I like is that. what the time requirement is. This is what the financial requirement is going to be. I don't have like four different packages for me to choose them. I have an initial six month option. You can pay it monthly or you can prepay it. Those are your two choices. Because I'm the only one here, I can't take a payment every single time. It's just not possible. Right. Um, I literally barely schedule you before you leave. Um, so it, it's just keeping it super simple. They walk in, I get their, you know, their soap notes. I scan them, they go rest for 15 minutes in a chair, they come back, I scan them, check their legs again. If they need an adjustment, they get adjusted, they go rest for 30 minutes, they come back, I post-scan them, and we book an appointment. They just rotate through every 15 minutes. I have a patient booked every 15 minutes, basically. Um, So I can see about four an hour. I'm not a huge high-volume practice. I probably see anywhere from 30 to 50 patients a week, patient visits a week. Um, But I also have a lot of people who are like, wait, how did you do that? Well, I also charge what I'm worth. 
Mm -hmm. Um, So I only need four new patients a month to be meeting my overhead, um, which is amazing for me because I'm not like a, I've got 10 new patients in one day. I can't do that. Yeah. Um, I tried to see 10, I tried to see 10 new patients in one month in September last year. And I thought I was just going to keel over and die. Well, well, it's interesting. Not going to do it ever. It's it's interesting because there's all that out there, right? And there's, again, that's one of those things like you're supposed to do whatever, right? And it's like, like, it's not just, no, and it's not just how many people you see, it's how you see them, right? I think a lot of us feel that way in upper cervical. It's like, well, yeah, if I just want to just get as many warm bodies on the table as possible, I'd probably just do full spine or whatever, you know, but because Mm -hmm. we like to do things in a certain way and we're doing, you know, like pattern analysis requires a certain attention to detail and a protocol. Like you said, it's like for a lot of us, we, we do upper cervical because we like to do things in that way. And so that introduces some constraints if you want to look at it that way. Uh, and some folks will eventually just stop doing the text, the checks, the post checks, whatever, because it's more people. Right. But yeah. I'm with you. It's kind of like, you know, it's not just how many it's how you do it. And that's uh, you know, I think something that is another good point to put out there for folks that, you don't have to feel less than if you're not seeing 200 visits a week or doing whatever that mm-hmm. seems to be out there as like the average standard type of performance or whatever. Yeah. It's like, well, that's back to the conversation about priorities. Um, you can reverse engineer that, figure out what kind of life you li- you want to live and then create the practice that's going to serve that. Um, and there's math for that. You know, there's advisors yeah. and, and mentors that help with that stuff. Finance. Yeah. And have a husband or in finance or a sugar mama. <laughs> or whatever it takes. But, uh, it is, it is an interesting thing to say like, okay, I've got, I'm helping my people, you know, because there's 650,000 people in my County. It's like, if I saw a thousand patients a week, I didn't help 649,000 of them. Right. Right. So, so realistically, what do you sacrifice, you know, for the sake of that extra, extra volume, but can't help them all. They're not all meant for us. Yeah. That was part of it. It's like, I want to help everybody. Well, not everybody wants your help. Mm. right? Like some people want to go do the other thing and that's okay. Um, And so I got really good with, I want to help the people that I was meant to help. Um, And those people will find their way here. Um, And even when I do a consult, I'm like, look, I'm not a pushy person. Like you can come here. I'll do this whole thing. If I finish the whole process with you and you're like, I'm not ready for this. I'm not going to be like, you're dying. You need to come see me. Like you'll start when you're ready. I'll be here when you're ready. I'm not I'm not holding on to that energy. It's not good for you. It's not good for me. Um, Next. Well, that's interesting because so much of (laughs) sort of the practice management stuff is overcoming objections and, you know, Mm -hmm. all these types of barriers when it's just kind of that, you know, volume approach, which is have a huge funnel and then just catch as many as you can on the way down versus you having a very tight focus pre-qualifying, going through the steps, you know, and then being transparent and, and not needing quote unquote, yeah. those people and just being available to them as a resource. And like it's a different, like some people literally can't afford it and yeah. they're not going to sign up that day. And you don't want to put them in that doing it. Um, sometimes they ask me for solutions and I'm like, I'll have my practice on no interest credit card. And I just paid it off month by month before the interest hit, um, what is, you know, a great alternative to care credit because nobody's taking interest in payments and fees from there. Um, but at the same time, I had one person I did a long time ago in my Santa Monica practice. He came in in February for an exam. He was in love with the whole thing. And he goes, look, I don't have a job right now. And I might be moving to San Diego. And I was like, I'm here. If you want a referral for somebody in San Diego, I'll find you someone, you know, don't worry about it. Um, he called me back that July and he goes, 
Well, I still don't have a job, but I didn't move, but I've been saving up cash for the last couple of months. Can I wow. pay you for the 12 months up front? And I was just like, sure. And he literally came in and handed me cash. And I was like, great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I will never forget that. I'm like, the people that want to be here will, will still come back to you. Don't freak out about it. Um, yeah. I have people come in months, years later. They're like, oh, do you remember me? And I'm like, I think I had, I think I remember you. Well, it's a good, a lot of people since then. <laughs> no, that's an interesting point. Cause some of the weird, you know, stuff that's out there about like all the different options, like you said, it's like, sometimes you bend over backwards trying to make something for everyone. And mm-hmm. that only ends up frustrating you. And if you get to the point where you resent your practice or the, the way mm-hmm. that it's set up or the people that are coming in, you know, taking advantage of whatever you offered them, that's your fault, you know, not theirs. Yep. And back to the, like taking care of these people, getting paid what you're worth, like you said, and, and having a thoughtful conversation with the people that are close to you and figuring that stuff out is, uh, is really important because that's kind of the, the prerequisite for confidently, you know, presenting those options and having it be communicated clearly, understandably, and in a way that doesn't feel gross, you know, to yeah. you or the patient. And I'm definitely trying to get, I'm still this many years later, trying to read people a little bit better during the exam. Cause I've definitely found that the people that I've been a little iffy about offering care to because I don't offer it to everybody. There's not many I don't offer it to, but um, there's been a few where I'm like, do I really want to take this on? Like I could, I could really help them. And those people that I really wanted to help, they're the energy sucks. Yeah. And then like two months in, you're like, what did I do? Like they're getting better, but they're arguing about everything and they want to fight you on all of it. And you're just like, just out. You trusted me. Let me take care of you. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> and and like, like, crap, maybe I shouldn't have let you in. I don't yeah. Know. And it, it's that, that, in the bubble. It wasn't a good idea. Well, right. There's always those gut things too, where you're like, oh, I'm just being, I'm making something out of nothing. And then off, uh, oftentimes it comes back to, you know, reinforce that you should have listened. And sometimes like the folks that you try the hardest for, are the ones that appreciate the, the least, right? It's like, for, for sure. example, I had a, I won't get into too much detail, but a family that was, um, you know, big fans of upper cervical apparently, and had done it previously and just hadn't found the right fit. Um, and long story short, had some bad advice at the time, offered them this kind of family deal kind of thing. And it was super discounted visits and they would come more than I wanted them to, frankly, it was like, they weren't even following my recommendations. They just kept showing up every week. And I'm like, anyway, long story short, I, I raised my fees. said, that's not an option anymore. And, you know, I blah, blah, here's the whole scenario. Okay. Okay. Yeah, disappeared. Right. These people are every week singing my praises, coming in here. So grateful. But as soon as they had to pay what it was worth, you know, ghosted. So it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you know, the conversation about value is, uh, is a different conversation than cost, right? And so it's up to you to convey the value and to present the value. And then it's up to them to decide if they want it or not, you know, and that's equal exchange. So awesome. Um, So have you done any coaching or anything like that? Do you have any mentors? Do you have anybody that's kind of helped you besides your husband there navigate some of this uh, from sort of the outside looking in? So I have two different kind of groupings. I have the chiropractic and then the business. Um, in terms of the business chiropractic, um, I accidentally and very gratefully um, fell into um, meeting Dr. Shondo. Um, he was actually one of the few people that responded to me when I sent out an email to all the research departments, at all the chiropractic schools, and we had to write a paper um, in 13th or 14th quarter, I think it was, um, when you write your research paper. And I was like, I want something on upper cervical care, and that's what I want to write out. 
Um, and he is literally the only professor, because he was working at Life at the time, that responded back was like, I have a case for you. Have a wow. blast. <laughs> um, and so I got to write up this research report, um, which did end up being published. And uh, when Dr. McCoy was like, well, you know, how do you want the names written? I asked him because normally it was his case. His name should have been on the paper somewhere. He was like, you wrote the paper. It's your paper. And so I literally like gave acknowledgement to him, but I actually got to be published with just my name, which was, I thought the coolest thing ever as a student. Um, But he literally was one of the few people who were like, yes, of course, we need to get this stuff out there. Um, And we kind of connected through there. And I've been really grateful. I kind of sort of started with his marketing to the 90 program when he was doing that. um, And then fell into the Black Diamond Club. And a lot of it has been very, very beneficial. Like, doing you know having and always have something um i think one of the times really early into my practice i texted him and i was just like i'm really struggling with like going to a networking event where there's like 100 people like i'm an introvert i really don't like doing big events at all um and he was just like look you have the personality and you have the protocols you really can't lose right now but he'd be really great with those mini talks and he's like just go tell somebody you like their shoes and they'll start the conversation i'm like great thank you yeah um, but he was really, really awesome to connect with really early on. Um, I've stayed through that. I've been in the Black Diamond Club since its inception um, in terms of marketing and having a niche and all of that stuff came from there. Like I loved being in that group. Um, and it's really, really helped me build my practice from a different perspective. Um, so that I'm super duper grateful for. Um, I haven't done any coaching with them. Um, honestly, that was another one of those things where I was like, I'm not ready to put my practice first. And I'm going to build it slow. And they're very big on like, these are things you need to do, do them and everything will be fine. And I'm like, no, I don't have the hours to do some of those things. And I don't have the hours to come to seminars. And I'm kind of on the outskirts of that group to a certain degree, just because I didn't move as fast. Um, But I still love it. And I love what they teach. And I love all of that stuff. And so that has been a huge, huge benefit in me getting my practice up and running and doing what it's doing at the level that it's doing at with the niche and the target market and all that stuff. Um, in terms of my life, uh, I had a woman who was actually one of my patients who was a business consultant um, and is probably one of the few trades I've done. But she was like, look, I've had migraines since I was seven. I had one of the top headache doctors in Beverly Hills tell me that I had migraines daily because I have a type A personality. And I thought that was bullshit. Wow. Um, so I'd like to know more about what you have to offer. And she goes, and I can offer you consulting for the next six months while we do that because consulting fees were ridiculous and I was like okay great um and she kind of helped me look at the more businessy non-chiropractic end of my practice and what I wanted from there but she introduced me to an amazing group of women who are lawyers and CPAs and financial advisors and just really top-notch women in my community who are the primary bedwinners primary bedwinners in their relationships but they have learned really well how to just take it up a notch and not feel bad about it and how mm. they'll keep relationships with their spouses and have that family time. And being with those women has really allowed me to not feel bad about what I do as not a not stay at home mom. And as the working mom who is not at my kids stuff, you know, all the time, but I do what I can. Um, but my husband is the one that picks them up and takes them to soccer practice and all that stuff because I'm at the office taking care of patients. Um, and so being connected with that group of women has really helped me learn how to be a strong woman in business. Um, because there was a lot of guilt surrounding that for sure. sure. I kind of was kind of getting everything going. Um, but those have been the two biggest things. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And, and what I'm hearing throughout this conversation, and I was telling someone about this recently when they were talking about the five years that I've been in business and all that kind of stuff. It's like, you know what? The, the, I know one thing for sure. And that's nobody is self-made. 
you know, like you can say that you can boast it, but there's always people that come along circumstances, opportunities, whether it's serendipity, whether it's on purpose, there's these inflection points and these people that come and cross your path and, and push you forward or, you know, change your trajectory. And from the chiropractor you met, you know, to this group of women and everybody in between. Right. And, and so yeah. it's definitely a gratitude thing, right. A humility yeah. thing to just reflect on where you've come from, you know, from where, you, where you've started and, and where you might be going from here. So what's, what's the future look like? Do you have uh, an idea of what, let's say, I don't want to say full scale, but like after the kids are 10, you know, and you're thinking yeah. about what that next phase of practice looks like, what's, got a what's, 10 a, year plan. what's brewing in your mind, <laughs> what's the next um, phase look like for you in your, in your mind's eye? Absolutely. So I've really just kind of gotten into building this practice out into what I want it to be. Um, so at this point, um, I'm consistently seeing anywhere from four to six new patients a month by myself. And that's what I'm good at. And I'm, and I'm doing well with it. Um, I am adding some new technology to the office in the upcoming months just to help support the upper cervical work, which is something I'm really excited about um, because I don't find that it um, conflicts with it, but helps the women that I'm seeing kind of get to another level of health, which I'm really excited about. Um, So that's kind of another piece of the puzzle I'm adding in. And then I'd like to get to the point where if I'm consistently seeing, you know, the six to eight to 10 visits a month, which was really hard for me to do, I would love to bring on an associate um, and at some point be able to teach them what I do and how I do it and why we do it this way versus what it could be somewhere else. Yeah. Um, because I would like to take a month long vacation one day and not have to shut down the entire practice. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's good to not be alone. And I think that's a big part of, especially with women, as we feel like we're in it alone, doing it ourselves all the time. And while I have my amazing group of women, I want another woman here who can, you know, take on some of that responsibility with me. So we can also both take time off to take, hang out with our families. Like I still schedule everything around my practice. So you know, I work all day, Monday, Wednesday, half day, Thursday, Friday. Um, I take my Tuesday to do me and go get checked myself and all that fun stuff. But we're going on vacation next week and we're going Thursday to Monday because that means I can still work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then yeah. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, you got to still make it work. You can't tell a patient you need to see them twice a week for a month and then not, not be, be available twice a yeah. week. <laughs> I know. Um, so I'm trying to build into something that's sustainable like that. And then if that's possible, then I would love to open more alive wellness centers where we can focus on women's health and, and be able to do bigger and better for a community of women who are very underserved because they feel like they shouldn't have to be taken care of like that. Like they should have to be able to do it all on their own. And, yeah. and we don't have to, I think we've gotten so much into that independence and I can do this and I can do both. And we kind of forgot that was village mentality. And that's how so many, it's what a lot of us need. Um, we can of course be strong, independent women and still have the support of our village just for our own mental health to a certain degree. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, moms run the world. I say that all the time. Like it's just the way it is, you know? And so we just burn ourselves out doing it. And I know. And that's the thing. It's like, balance. I tell moms in, in here all the time. It's like, you're the, you're the top patients, right? Because I understand what goes into it, you know, watching my wife become a mom and just the gear that you have and the way that you just continually give of yourself. And it's, it's worth investing in moms, right. And taking good care of our moms and the women in our lives that are, you know, um, influential and supportive and powerful. And, you know, they, they deserve that honor and care. So 
Um, if nothing else, take that away. You know, as the listeners, show your your mom some extra love. Show your uh, powerful women in your life some extra love and appreciation. And um, you know, take a, a tip from Dr. Namira. And and if you're a young woman uh, chiropractor or chiropractic student, and what Dr. Namira is having to say about her life and practice resonates with you or is really exciting to you, then I'll make sure you can get uh, her contact information in the show notes here so you can reach out and, and carry on the conversation. Cause I know there's often a lot of details and, and gaps to fill in, in these conversations and, you know, stuff that's just not appropriate for, you know, the, the podcast setting. So if that resonates with you and you really want to follow up and, and learn more, um, I'll make sure that you can get access to uh, Dr. Namira and check her out on online to a live wellness center. You said, Right. See the content that she's putting out there, get an idea of, uh, you know, the messaging and the languaging and the branding and all the stuff that goes into this niche that she's talking about. And you probably learn a thing or two as well. So, uh, any last words of encouragement doc, as we kind of start to wrap up any other tips or, or things you'd like to leave with the listeners. New students charge what you're worth. It's the best advice I ever got coming out of school and into practice, um, and charge in, in groupings of 20 in case anybody wants to pay you cash. Um, I started my first fee was a hundred dollars a visit. I, you know, what? I've never gone down since then. Thank you for saying that. I I love the round numbers. There's all this creepy (laughs) stuff about sevens and all this. It's like round numbers are so easy. What are we doing? Simple procedures, simple protocols, simple math. I don't want anything complicated. You pay me in twenties, you hand me a hundred dollar bill. It's really simple. Love it. Well, and and (laughs) there's one more point. I know we are wrapping up, but I know there's going to be somebody that's listening that goes, well, how do I know what I'm worth? You know, how do I figure that out so that I can charge it? What would you say to that? Um, you can call all the people in your neighborhood and see what it is, but be the highest of the high. Like if you feel like you have something amazing to offer this world and your community, you can't be charging less than a massage therapist. Right? There you go. Like how many, how much money do people, I mean, and massage therapy is great for muscular stuff, but people are trying to fix their neurological structural issues with massage therapy. And these women and men who spend an hour on your body, God bless them. They're deteriorating their own bodies in the process. But if they can charge 150, 170, $200 for a session, you should be able to also, Mm. because you are literally changing their life. So if you're going to go and charge, don't charge half of a service fee that somebody else is charging. I've never, ever been a proponent of the $65, $85 visit. Um, I literally started at $100. I, I can't even tell you what that's done for my own self-worth, um, what it's done for the patients that come to see me because they're like, oh, she's not bottom of the barrel chiropractor. Like she's, she knows her shit. So I'm going to pay for it. Like you're a doctor. The DR is in front of your name. Whatever type of doctor you are, people are coming to you to take care of them and to change their life. Charge like you are. Mm. There you go. Thank you for uh, clarifying on that. Cause I know, you know, there's going to always be that uncomfortable, that uncomfortable push, especially coming out of school and being a student where you've been living off of loan money, yep. most likely. And, and you can't afford your own care. There's still times that can't afford my own care. It's, it's just the way it is. <laughs> I know. And that's the thing. It's like, you sometimes you need someone else to reinforce that concept over and over. Cause you've got to rethink, you've got to rethink these concepts. Really. And, oh, and it, I think I one of the last- worst one of the worst things is these clinics that you work and they don't charge anybody. It's like a free clinic in the community. It's like nothing like instilling in a chiropractic student from the very beginning that what you do is not valuable. Or it's hey, like, you're, you're doing you it for free. Do it. Yeah. Or you're doing Absolutely. it for 20 bucks for the community or whatever, because you're a student. It's like, no, it's, there needs to be some value established early on. So you're right. Awesome. 
Well, Dr. Namira, thanks so much for the generosity of your time and sharing your experiences and your story. I know it's going to be valuable to a lot of our listeners. And uh, like I said, I'll make sure everyone can follow up with you offline if that's okay with you. And maybe we'll follow up in a few years as things in life and practice evolve. And when I start seeing you out at seminars, we'll know that we turned a corner. So we'll uh, connect face to face at that point. But until then, enjoy your practice in your family and your life. Thank you so much for having me, John. It was truly my pleasure to reconnect with the outer world. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or colleague. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and check the show notes for links to our hosts, guests, and other relevant information. And head on over to www.blairchiropractic.com to find out more about Blair Upper Cervical Chiropractic or to find a doctor close to you. If you're a chiropractor or healthcare provider, you'll want to look at www.blairtechnique.com for information on upcoming events, professional development resources, and some very useful online training modules. You can also find a link to make a charitable donation, which is greatly needed to advance research. Until next time, be well.